Acts chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Da, 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 da. Uh, last week, I foolishly assumed that I could do all of chapter 14 uh, in one go. Didn't even come close, right? So clock hit 11, and I was like not even halfway. So we're going to finish that up this week. Uh, but afterwards, I had someone come up to me and be like, hey, I really feel like uh, maybe the Lord was, was trying to uh, save this half of the message for somebody who wasn't here last week. Or maybe last week someone was here, uh, actually heard this from another person, that the person that was here last week, they're from out of town, and they really needed to hear that that week. So uh, we trust the Holy Spirit with all this stuff, um, and we're going to continue on through Acts chapter 14 uh, this morning. And I'm going to finish. I mean, I'm not going to promise. Like, I think I'm going to finish, but here we go. Um Last chapter we talked about, Acts chapter 13, we talked about uh, Paul and Barnabas and they're headed on this first missionary journey uh, in the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is kind of like the documentary of how the church, the, the community of Jesus followers began what would end up being the church that we are a part of. Like Riverstone Chapel is part of the heritage and legacy that stretches back all the way 2,000 years, some odd, to the time of Jesus. And, and the people who had followed Jesus and trusted in his word and proclaimed the gospel in the world. So how did we get here? Well, the book of Acts is kind of like how it went from this group of 12 to, to this worldwide movement. And so one of the first things that happens is Christians decide, like, hey, God's called us to reach other people. So they go on these things called mission trips. They don't quite look like our mission trips today, right? They're not flying first class and seeing sweet hotels. But uh, this is what Paul and Barnabas headed out to do, okay? And so we've been reading through that, and we got to Acts chapter 13, and Paul gave what was his first recorded sermon that we have in the Scriptures, and we talked through that, and what was a little bit surprising about Paul's first message was there weren't any rules in it. And so many people think of like, oh, Christian is following the rules. Like, if you want to honor God, you got to follow the rules. And Paul didn't include any of those. In fact, he spent like three quarters of his time just telling people how good God was. And he said, hey, do you remember Do you remember our people that he chose? Man, that was nice of him. And remember when we were having a tough time in Egypt? That was incredible. Remember when we really were going through a dark night and like he heard our cry? Remember when he led us out of bondage? And remember when he led us on the way? We didn't know where to go and he had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And remember when he did the miracles to keep us alive in the desert? Remember we didn't have any food? And he gave us food and our shoes didn't wear out and our clothes still fit and like, 40 years, we just had bread appearing out of nowhere in the mornings. So he over and over and over proclaimed the goodness of God. And then he gave us a warning at the end of that first message. He said, don't miss the goodness of God. It wasn't follow the rules or you're going to hell. It was don't miss the goodness of God. Don't miss how incredible God is and your chance to respond to it. And so that was Paul's very first message that we ever read. And then uh, as they continue on traveling through these different towns, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, actually doesn't tell us what Paul's message is in these other towns. My guess is, and we assumed this last week, was because the message didn't change a whole lot. And we actually saw that at the beginning of Acts chapter 14 last week. He's proclaiming this message uh, to a group of people in a city called Iconium. And they start to worship him. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm just a man, but I'm just proclaiming this good God that you need to respond to. And he does the same thing. No rules, 
no, you don't. I'm going to send you to hell. Like, like there is a place for that, but it's not the primary message of the gospel. And this is what Paul is proclaiming, the goodness of God and calling them to respond to it. So, Again, just like has happened for the last few towns that Paul and Barnabas have been in, lots of people respond to that message, put their faith in Jesus, believe and become followers of Jesus, and also lots of people oppose that message, which is weird, right? Hey, you know how good God is? Shut your mouth! Like, I don't know why people do that, but they do, right? And so that lots of people were opposing, and, and we saw last week that this opposition and this persecution is like ramping up. Okay, when they started the missionary journey, uh, we had a map. Actually, you could throw the map up there, Toby. Um, we had a map. Uh, they started over here in Antioch, right? And they went across to this island of Cyprus. And when they got to Cyprus, there wasn't a lot of opposition, just basically indifference. People heard their message like, oh, yeah, okay, we're close. They traveled all the way through, through all the cities in Cyprus, got to the end of it. One guy responded, and one guy was mad, right? So it's like a one-to-one -one ratio. One guy was like, oh, that's, I'm going to believe that. And then another guy was like, don't believe that. And then they got across, and they went up to, like, modern-day Turkey, and they get into Pomphylia. Now people are really getting upset, but more people are believing. And, right, so this opposition is coming up, and they're like, threatening them. They're shouting at them. They go to the next town, which is Antioch and Pisidia. I don't know if you can read that up there, but it's the basically furthest north part on the red journey. And so what happened there was people were like threatening them to do violence. They kicked them out of town. They go to the next town over, which is Iconium, and they actually planned on murdering them. So this persecution is like ramping up, okay? And we'll talk about what that means as we go. Verse 19 is where we're going to pick it up in chapter 14. I, we're kind of jumping into the middle of it, but hopefully I did a good enough job catching you up to speed. And here, Acts chapter 14, verse 19 says this, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So we talked, I just said it, like the persecution is ramping up, right? They were opposed a little bit. Now they are actually carrying out what they had planned and they stone Paul to death, right? That means they throw rocks at him until he is dead. And if you're reading this and you're like, wait, God, do you, God, are you paying attention? Like, God, why would you allow your missionary buddies to get stoned to death? Like if all the people on planet earth, like, that you should be protecting God, wouldn't it be these people? Like the people who are out there trying to proclaim your message to the world, the people who are out there trying to love on other people, they're, tr they're trying to bring your truth to a different generation. Why would you allow these people to get stoned? Are you mad at them? Are you, are you upset? Like, and if you are upset, why didn't you tell them why you were upset? Like these are all the things that should go through your mind. Like is this a pop quiz, God? God's like, Paul, pop quiz, duck, right? Like, is this like, like out of nowhere? Like, what is going on here? God lets this happen. And at the end of the day, it's really important to remember that the most basic explanation of, of our misunderstanding of why God does stuff like this is that we are operating with incomplete information and God is operating with more information than we have. Now, I know that sounds super simple, and I'm not going all the way to, like, God has a plan, or, you know, if you had a relative die, it's like God needed another angel. I'm not saying any of that stuff, right? We're not doing coffee cup stuff here this morning. I am telling you 
that your information is incomplete. And God's information is complete. And if you follow your Bible, you will find a God who in the very beginning created everything for mankind to enjoy. Created, gave him an incredible garden. He's like, go ahead. Like, this is for you. I want you to enjoy this. Then mankind turns their backs on God and decided to go their own way and do their own thing. And they broke their own lives and introduced death into this incredible creation that God gave. So nothing on planet Earth continued to work like it's intended to work. And, and, and yet still, God was kind and loving. And the first thing God did, if you go back to your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, is he promised to save them. He said, I'm sending the seed of the woman to save you. That was the very first thing God did. And then he chose a people, and then he gave them a land, and then he made them a promise of a Savior that was coming, and then he preserved them in times of difficulty, protected them in times of danger. And if you read your Bible, you see a God who hears the cries of his people, delivers his people from difficulty and bondage, and when they need direction, he leads them. When they need food, he provides for them. And over and over and over, he shows his kindness and goodness and faithfulness. So when you come to a passage like this, and you're like, I don't get this, God. We know the history of God. Wait, we know his kindness and goodness towards mankind. We know his love for us. So if you have a history of a God who is kind and loving and forgiving and patient and protecting and nurturing, and then he does something, you're like, what the heck? Why would you allow Paul to get stoned? Can you just assume that you're not right for one second? I know that's hard for us. And say, we're operating with incomplete information. Can we rest in our understanding that because God knows things we don't know, and values things we probably don't value. He has told us that the difficulty in life is actually a very healthy thing for us. Now, we know that, but we still hate all difficulty. Isn't that funny how we do that? We're like, I know that difficulty is probably good for me. I still don't like it. I still get mad every time it happens. I'm still going to get on the freeway this afternoon. Someone's going to cut me off, and I'm going to get red in the face and be like, what idiots do they give driver's licenses to in Spokane, Washington? Are you kidding, right? That's the kind of people we are. But here's what I know. The point of life is not living in comfort. The point of life is recognizing that you need a savior. And this is a great reminder that the system that we live in is broken. That a servant of God would see his life end at the hands of of angry people who oppose him. And if there were no difficulty, if there were no tragedy, if God did not allow us to see and experience the consequences of humanity turning its back on God, we would not understand our desperate need for him to save us. So you're going to look at things in life and you'll be like, I don't get it. It doesn't mean God isn't good anymore. It just means that he's valuing things differently than you value them. I don't know if you remember this in the Bible, but God says the worst thing that could happen to a person is not them dying. The worst thing that could happen to a person is them not recognizing that they desperately need a Savior. Now, look at what happens in verse 20. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So they stoned him to death. And, and, and actually, I'm going to confess something right now. I knew the story. I knew Paul was going to be okay. So why wasn't my first point? Hey, guys, it's going to be okay. God is going to do a miracle and keep Paul alive, and it's going to be okay. So if you're going through hard times, you just need to trust God, and it's all going to turn out okay. That could have been my first message, my first point in the message, right? God got, God saved Paul. He's going to save you too, right? I was listening to a worship song this morning, and I don't disagree with the worship song this morning, but they were saying like, my time is coming. And, and that's great for some of you, because maybe some of you are going to walk out those doors today, and God's going to give you an extra special blessing. You'd be like, I knew my time was coming, but what about those who didn't get the miracle today? Does that mean God isn't good? Or God doesn't have a message for you this morning, right? What if you had the family member that died recently? What if somebody didn't get better? What if the financial thing didn't work out for you? Does that mean God doesn't have anything to say to you from Acts chapter 14? No, absolutely not. Like I said, God values things differently than we value those things. God knows what he's doing. He's working off complete information. Okay, and it's just not true that every single thing is going to work out in your life the way that it, you want it to or in the way that is comfortable for you. But the Bible does teach that God is good. It's like that great quote from the end of Chronicles of Narnia. He's not safe, but he's good. If you want to be honest about it, Paul probably went through more times when it felt like God didn't answer her prayer, his prayer. I don't know why I said her. That was weird his prayer than anyone in history, right? Think about Paul, right? In this instance, like, praise God, he, he, I don't know, there's some sort of miracle happening here, right? I don't know if you know this, but the reason they use stoning as a means of execution is because it works, right? They're, and they're good at it. So they throw rocks at this guy until it appears that he's dead. Then they drag him through the city streets until they get outside the wall and they just leave him there all the while assuming he's dead. Because if he wasn't dead, they would have kept throwing rocks. So there's some sort of miracle happening here. I don't know if God like let him die and then brought him back to life or if God like gave him some sort of coma. I don't know, but it's miraculous nonetheless. And yet, even though God saved Paul in this moment, there's lots of times when God doesn't keep Paul from the hard thing. There's shipwrecks, there's imprisonments, there's beatings. And one day at the end of his life, Paul is going to get arrested and murdered by an angry authority figure as he goes to Rome and is beheaded. So, so it's not like it's always going to work out the way we want it to for everybody all the time. But that doesn't mean that God is not good. What's interesting is Paul being a guy who probably went through more difficulty than any single person on the planet for the gospel, a guy who probably, you know, if we do these things, I pray for traveling mercies and then our ship wreck like Paul did. Like, I guess that prayer didn't work, right? God, keep us safe. And then we get like stoned to death on our trip. Like, ah, I guess that prayer didn't work. Paul probably had more unanswered prayers than anybody in history, right? He went through more difficulty and yet he gets the end of his life and he wasn't like, you know what? That God guy, man, he can't figure it out. I'm trying to get through these trips and he won't keep me safe. No, Paul got to the end of it. He said, I've learned in any situation, whether it's going great or not, whether I got a ton or don't, to be content. And then he said this incredible verse, and you've probably heard it before, 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about shooting a jump shot, right? Which is crazy because, like, there's a bunch of athletes out there that got, I can do all things. You know what? When God wrote his Bible, he's like, this is going to really help, like, middle-class people in their sports later. I can do all things through God. Like, that's not why that scripture's in there. It's a guy who was stoned to death, poor, beaten, imprisoned, uncertain of his future, and he wrote that, right? So it has a lot more to do with people who can't figure out how to pay their mortgage or, or people who can't figure out how to handle their kids or people who are really trying to figure out what they're going to do for work next year, right? It's a lot more closer to that type of thing than it is like, I'm good at UFC fighting. Anyway, soapbox rant over. Okay, now in our story here, Paul was just stoned to death, okay? So just to recap, stoning was this method of execution, right, where they throw rocks at you until you die. And it was very effective. So there's no doubt in my mind that God did some sort of miracle to keep Paul alive. Now, we talked this, about this idea last week, but I'm going to remind you of this because it's going to continue to happen in the life of Paul, and it's going to continue to happen in your life. The persecution and the opposition increase because the point of trusting God through difficulty is to know him more and therefore trust him more, okay? So what that means is it's very likely that the things he's leading you through today that are requiring you to trust him right now are preparing you for other things in your future that will require you to trust him even more. Okay, so you like we do this like driver's license test thing. And I say driver's license test because we all did a driver's license test and we had to memorize all this stuff. And then we took the test and we forgot it all for the rest of our lives. Like how early do you need to turn your blinker on? I don't know. Like you do like nobody remembers any of that stuff. And people treat Christianity that way. Like, oh, yeah, I walked by faith that one time. So I'm good. Right. I'm in. I got my card like it's over. And actually, that's not the point of walking by faith. The point of walking by faith is so that the thing you go through today informs the way you live your life tomorrow. So if you find God good and faithful and true today, then he's probably going to send you something that's going to require you to trust him more tomorrow. And it's an important thing to understand because it's tempting to go through something difficult. And instead of it producing a greater faith in your heart, it actually produces a greater fear in your heart. The, the point of the difficulty that God is leading you through is to produce faith, not fear. Here's what I mean. Think about it. Throw the map up there again for me, if you could. Here's where we are right now. Paul was just stoned right here in this area of Lystra. Okay? It's blurry. I don't know why it's blurry. That's probably my fault. I downloaded a crappy file. Google, you're the worst. Okay. So it's right here, if you can see it. Okay, so there's a lot more going on in this trip. We're actually not even quite to halfway in the trip. You can leave that up there because I'm going to come back to it later. Okay, so here's what Paul could be thinking right now halfway through this trip. Man, I almost died. I'm going home right now. Whew, that was a close one. They almost killed me or they did kill me and God brought me back to life. Glad that's over. Let's go home. That could be one response to this, right? That was a close one. I'm going to lay low. I'm going to get out of here. The other way to think about this is these people just murdered me, 
and God spared my life. I shouldn't be afraid of anything. I just took their best shot. Is that all you got? Throw bigger rocks next time, sucker. Like they could, he, like he could allow it to produce fear in his heart where he's like, man, that was a close one. I'm never doing that again. I'm never getting that close. Or he could say, look, God brought me through what I would consider the worst possible outcome of this trip. And if that didn't stop me, then nothing's going to stop me. It's important because an experience like this of having to trust God can go one of those two ways, fear or faith. And you can go through something and think, man, that was close and make you fearful of doing that ever again. Or you can go through the same thing and think, man, if God can get me through that, what couldn't he get me through? Let's do it this way. Maybe this will come at it from a different direction. and It'll help you understand it. Here's the question. Was Paul close to dying? Did Paul almost die? I mean, it depends on whose perspective you're talking about. From our perspective, we're like, whoa, that was close. Do you think God thought it was close? God was like, oh, man, that almost turned out really bad, man. <laughs> Whew. That was it. You think God was like stressing out? He's sweating up in heaven. He's like, man, I, it was touch and go there for a little, buddy. <laughs> no. God wasn't stressed out. This wasn't hard for him. This wasn't a close call for God. Not at all. From God's perspective, it was never close. From God's perspective, this was not a hard thing. It did not stress him out or make him uncomfortable. Now, Paul has the choice to do the thing there where we have what we would consider a close call. And instead of letting it build our faith, we focus on how close we think we were to losing it all. And so then we start to operate out of fear. Or you can do it from God's perspective and say, hey, we weren't close. And Paul chooses to let his experience not grow his fear, but grow his faith. And look at what happens. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. And when they had commended to the grace of God for the work that they, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with, his, with the disciples. If you look at the map right here, okay, Paul was stoned to death in this Lister place. Right? He gets up the next morning and walks 90 miles to Derby, okay? which is where he stops right there. They're in Derby, and he has a choice to make. Right? This is where they came from. Right? So they are about halfway from where they got on the boat to where they would go home. So if he wanted to, he could just go home, walk home. And in fact, this place right here, can you read it? It says Tarsus. Saul is from where? Tarsus. So he could easily, probably two-day journey, walk home, hang out with mom and dad for a bit, and then another two-day journey back to Antioch. This is like super simple, Paul. Why wouldn't you just do that? They just stoned you to death. Maybe don't go back there. 
And yet instead of choosing to go the short way home, it says he goes back through the towns he just came through. And the thing it says is they made disciples and strengthened the disciples. Okay, now you've, you've probably been to church before, so you read that and you're like, oh yeah, made disciples, strengthened disciples. And I read that and I go, wait, made disciples? Look at verse 21, read it again. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. He made many disciples. Is that, can you do that? Like, can you just make a disciple? Just like, all right. One, two, like, it says he made many of them. How do you make a disciple? Like, and if you can just make a disciple, like, it seems to imply that we could just make them. Should we be making them? Like, if that's a thing, like, should we be doing that? It seems like that was the entire point of Paul heading back the way that he came, was making and strengthening disciples. And I bring this all up because many people never think about what a disciple is or if they should be making them. And I think the Bible is very clear. We should be making them. I got a couple of things about this idea of making disciples. First of all, disciple is not a second level of Christianity. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm not a disciple. Like, that's a, I mean, that sounds like intense. There is no such distinction in your Bible. Okay? So the only people that the Bible talks about being followers of Jesus, it also calls disciples. So there's no distinction between like, oh, Christian and the super Christian is a disciple. We're all called to be disciples. And, and it's not some extra level. Not only are we all called to be disciples, but as Jesus left, he told his disciples to make disciples. Okay? So there's no one who's exempt from this calling. Like, oh, I'm just a Christian. I'm not called to make disciples. That False. Okay, that's not true. If you came in believing that, you're wrong. Sorry. There's lots of things. Ask your wife. So the second thing about discipleship, if we're called to be one and we're called to make one, we should probably know what a disciple is. Okay, now there's actually a lot of teaching in the Bible about what a disciple it is. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to follow my teachings. There's a lot of teachings of Jesus. Okay, so what we've done at this church at Riverstone Chapel, not to make it too much about us, but just to give you kind of a framework, is we've clearly defined for us what we believe a biblical disciple is. We've just made it short and simple because so we can give us just a quick reference point. Are we making these types of people or not? Okay? You can throw it up on the screen. It's our mission statement. Okay? And maybe this is a surprise to you. Maybe it's not. Our mission statement is to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And these four steps we see in the scriptures as marks of a disciple. Okay? Somebody who knows God, somebody who has found freedom or is finding freedom, somebody who is discovering their purpose, and somebody who then goes out and make a difference. And we actually get a very clear picture of this in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus teaches on the parable of the soils, right? I'm in Acts 14, so I don't want to get too distracted on Mark 4. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story about a farmer. He scatters some seed, and the seed lands on four different types of soil, 
right? And then he goes back and explains. He says, the seed is the word of God. And the first type of soil, it doesn't even, it's on a road. Like it doesn't even get in. Like the people don't even know God, right? And then the second type of soil, it's, it's better than the first type of soil. The seeds start to grow, but the, the roots can't go down because there's so many rocks in it. They're not free to grow roots. And so when the sun comes up, it dies off. And then the third type of soil, it actually grows stuff pretty good. But it grows good stuff and bad stuff. The, the, the soil has never decided, like, what types of things it should grow and what types of shouldn't grow. And we define that as discovering purpose. If you don't know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, then the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 4, the things you shouldn't be doing, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire to please man, will choke out the things you should be doing. And then the last thing is it says it landed on good soil and produced fruit. And many times in your Bible, the word fruit is interpreted as good works, going out and doing good things, being kind, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, multiplied fruit. So that's our definition. Like that's what we're trying to do as a church is to develop these types of people, God-knowing, freedom-finding, purpose-living difference makers. Anybody else on board with that? Three of you, great. My guess is this is the type of person Paul developed. He found people who didn't know God, who the word of God had no place in their life, people who were in bondage to sin, people who the things of the world was choking out what God was doing in their life and, and weren't making a difference in this world. And he showed them the goodness of God and the gospel, and it changed the trajectory of their life. So back to my question. Can we make disciples? And if we can, should we? Yes, Absolutely. We should be intentionally investing in people to these ends. And, and if you're reflecting on your life right now, am I not only doing these things, but trying to pass these things on to somebody else? If the answer is no, then I'm glad you're here this morning. Because God very clearly is like, hey, that's not what I've called you to do. And you're settling for less than the joy I've called you to walk in. Right? I love this group over here, these students, because like, this is an opportunity. Like, this is an open door. Right? You want to invest in somebody and see these things happen? Like, let's go. Right? They're here. Right? And on the other side of that, if you just want your kid to come here and be a good Christian and sit in the back and not talk to anybody and leave so that you don't get stuck in the parking lot, right? probably take them to another church. Because if I see them, I'm talking to them, and I'm trying to do this. Right? And we have leaders in our church, Jake being one of them. As he met with your kids that they're interested in worship, Austin being another one, Bella being another one, Donnie and Tonya, when they're investing in those kids, they're like, this is what our goal is. This is the center of the target. We're not just trying to make good people. We're not doing behavior modification here. I don't see that in Paul. Paul went back through Iconium and Lystra to tell people to make better choices. No, he made disciples, somebody. Can I get an amen? All right. I'm going to go over if I keep going on that. Not only, uh, let me throw this last graphic on there, because I think sometimes we misunderstand what discipleship is, what it is to make a disciple. You throw that last one up there, right? Like, I know this isn't really how it works, right? So don't take a picture of this and be like, look how weird this guy's theology is, right? I'm just trying to give you an illustration of like, 
our mindset, right? We know that over here on the left are people who, like, have no interest in God, right? And then we know over here that, like, these are mature believers who are like, yes, I'm following Jesus. I'm trying to do what he called me to do. And, and, and for some reason, we think that, like, these people over here who are unbelievers, like, discipleship doesn't start until they actually identify themselves as a believer. And we only call this half discipleship, right? And historically, we've called this half evangelism, right? But the Bible doesn't make that distinction. The whole thing is discipleship, right? When it says Paul made disciples, he wasn't like, are you a believer? No. Oh, I can't help you then, right? Like, he wasn't just like looking for one guy who was really hungry for the word of God. He was going to meet with him for coffee twice a month for the next eight years. No, he was preaching the goodness of God through the gospel in every circumstance, whether they were on the left end of the spectrum or the right end of the spectrum, hoping that they would further in their knowledge of God, finding a freedom, discovering a purpose, and difference-making in this world. Okay? So the whole thing is discipleship. Now, Paul not only starts people on this path, encourages them to continue on this path. Look what it says in verse 22. By encouraging them to keep going and saying, difficult times are part of the process. Trusting in God in hard moments, living through moments in life where you need to trust God are part of the process. That should encourage you on your path to joy. And Paul goes back through the cities telling them that. Right? There's a little fear that would probably be involved in this. Like, you just watched this guy get stoned to death. And now he comes back into your time being like, praise God for his goodness. Difficult times are part of the deal. Actually, I want to see that video when I get to heaven of Paul walking back into Lister where he was stoned, right? Because the leaders are probably like on the street somewhere. Maybe they're across the street and Paul like walks into town. He's like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like looking at him like, I, you just stoned me to death. Should I be scared right now or should you be scared right now? Like who should be more fearful? Right? Like what are you going to do if that didn't work? Like, it's an incredible testimony. And pay close attention, because if, if this were a Disney movie, then where it would end is Paul and Barnabas would just ride off into the sunset, right? Like, God raised him from the dead. It all turned out okay. Like, you know, the end would flash across the screen, and we'd be like, cool. But that's not where it ends. Look where it ends. The end of the story concerning this first missionary journey is they share the experience with other believers. Did you see that? Look at the Look at the verse. Where is it? Verse 27. And when they arrived, so they're back in Antioch, where they were sent out from, they gathered the church together, declared all that God had done with them, and how he opened the door of the faith to Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So the end of this story, the end of the first missionary journey, is not this picture of them riding off into the sunset. It's them with their church body around them, with other believers around them, and they are declaring the goodness of God on their trip. Is it important to us that the last image of this missionary journey, this last picture in our minds that we have of this trip, was Paul and Barnabas sitting and sharing the amazing things of God with others? Is that important for us to know? Or do you think God was just like, I got to finish the story somehow? No, no, it's exactly how it was supposed to end. 
It wasn't an accident. Let me ask it this way. Whose idea is the church? It's God's idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't people's idea. Now, for sure, there's some people out there who are messed up, and they see religion as a means of personal gain, and they're like, I could gather a following. I could make them think that if they give me enough money, they'll go to heaven. And Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about big picture. God decided to preach his gospel to the world by a group of gathered believers in him called Christians and his news, the gospel, and that's how he decided to get the message out to the world, by a group of people who loved and believed in him. That was his plan A for the salvation of the world. Think about that for a second. This was God's plan, right? This was God's plan. And one of the reasons God chose to do it this way is so we would come together like this and encourage one another with what God has done. Not only to share with others, but now you also have a witness of God's goodness in the lives of those around you. Okay, now this is especially important for us because I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. You all showed up to church this morning. But there's a bunch of people out there who think that they cannot be connected with the people of God and somehow do the thing God has called them to do. Okay, let's just do a math problem here. Okay, let's say God is working in everybody's life in this room, which I believe he is. Okay, there's... Maybe a hundred people in here. You are then one one hundredth of what God is doing in this room. If you stay home, you're missing out on 99% of what God is doing. Do you think that's healthy? Was that God's plan? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You all showed up to church. I'm grateful for you. Right? But you're going to go out there and you're going to run into people who say stuff like, the woods is my church. Did that tree tell you how gospel saved them? It didn't. Right? There are things we can learn about God from nature, but it's not even close to the things he's doing in the lives of others. And when you gather with the people like God intended, there's another level of encouragement when the things get hard, you have people around you to remind you of the goodness of God. And you look around the room and you see goodness of God, goodness of God, goodness of God, goodness of God. And if you talk to people like you should be talking to people, you hear story of God's goodness, story of God's goodness, story of God's goodness, story of really hard thing. Hey, you know what? There's 50 people in here who have experienced the goodness of God in this week. You have a hard time. Let's pray for you. Right? That's how it's supposed to work. And I'm going to finish here because this is where Paul and Barnabas finished. Is there any evidence in this room that God is good and we should trust him this morning? This is a question to you guys. Raise your hand if you have any evidence from your life that God is good. Look around. Look how many hands are up. This is not just a theory. Right? This is not just something on the pages of a really old book that, like, theoretically, this is a really good idea. I just had a hundred hands in here that went up that said, yeah, yeah, Jared, you're right. I've seen the goodness of God in my life. That's how we're intended to function. That's how it's supposed to go. You can't get this on a screen or a podcast. You can't get this by just going out in the woods. 
This is part of the reason why the church is God's plan A. He has left himself a witness, not just in theory, but in practice. Not just out there somewhere, but in our midst. Like in here, right? And Paul is writing from 2,000 years ago going, it was true for us too. It's not just a room full of hands in Riverstone Chapel in 2021. It was true of the entire church of Antioch when I got back from my very first missionary journey. And just like Paul's message at the very beginning, like the first recorded sermon we ever saw, just see the goodness of God right now this morning. Just see how incredible and faithful and loving he is. And see if that doesn't change your heart and cause you to respond differently. Because my guess is it will. The gospel depends on it changing your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, you can come on up as we finish. Father, I'm grateful for your word, uh, for your goodness as revealed in your scripture and in the lives of people in this church, Lord. From the hands that were raised, Lord, you're such a kind and loving and faithful God, Lord. And that hope carries us through when times get difficult, Lord. I'm, I'm not downplaying somebody who walked in this morning with hard things going on in their lives. But I know that there's a, a room full of people even here this morning who can say, yeah, times are hard, but God is good. And we rejoice in that this morning. We respond to your goodness with praise and worship and grateful hearts.